Hello, and welcome to How I Made It Happen, a weekly podcast hosted by me, Elizabeth Ogabi. On this podcast, I speak to women who are entrepreneurs, innovators, and game changers. I dive deep into conversation with them to understand how they've taken their ideas and made them a reality. If you're new here, here's a little introduction about me. I'm the founder of For Working Ladies, a platform for entrepreneurial thinking women. I'm also the author of the newly published book, Side Hustle in Progress, a practical guide to kickstarting your business. In this book, I share everything you need to know as you embark on your own journey of turning your ideas into reality. From how to get ideas to how to market your business, I cover it all. If you'd like to purchase a copy, the link is in the show notes and it can also be purchased at all bookstores. In this week's episode, I'm speaking to Ashita Cabra-Davies, founder of BiRotation, the world's first social fashion rental app. The idea for BiRotation came to Ashita during her honeymoon to India, where she found herself reconsidering her relationship with fashion. She was in her suburban hometown and had not been back for over 30 years. Ashita felt guilty for buying new clothes for her honeymoon, as this made her feel she was part of a system that was adding to the textile waste. She wondered how she could help an average consumer make a difference, which is how the idea of BiRotation was birthed. A platform that allows users to rent their garments out to others on a daily or weekly basis. The idea is to give everyday people something that's accessible and convenient, that's an alternative to the often high price points of many sustainable fashion labels. BiRotation started out as Ashita's side hustle while she worked full-time at a hedge fund. She spent evenings and weekends creating the beta platform and attending sustainable fashion events in order to build up her network. When BiRotation hit certain targets she had set, she finally left her seven-year career in investment management. Not only is BiRotation the largest fashion rental app in the UK, but they are also a completely circular and sustainable model thanks to their focus on peer-to-peer and technology. Here is Ashita Cabra-Davies. So BiRotation is a social network where women can lend and rent designer and contemporary fashion with each other. And essentially, it's been dubbed as the Instagram of fashion rental. So it's very social and it's a great way to, you know, use items that already exist in your wardrobe. Um, so you can make money, save money, look great and also save the planet at the same time. As for why I set up BiRotation, it actually came from a very first world problem, which is wanting to pack for my honeymoons or holiday uh, and wanting to wear nice, you know, um, elaborate designer clothing for the trip without wanting to spend so much. And also realizing that I would probably not get enough wears out of the outfits anyway. It wasn't until the actual honeymoon, which was back to my motherland, so Rajasthan in India, where I saw a lot of textile waste that went beyond all the well-documented landfills that we know about. You know, the ones that you see in The Guardian, all those photos. So this was actually in my suburban hometown, just two hours away from Udaipur. And, you know, I hadn't been back in over 14 years. And I just felt very guilty, you know, that I too was part of this very linear fashion model that we've become so accustomed to, which is you know, to buy new products, use them maybe max for a year, and then donate them. Because that makes us feel better, you know, because we're doing charity, we're donating items. Uh, But actually realizing that a lot of these items get sent back to, um, to, you know, African and Asian countries such as my own. So that's when I decided to found this platform where women 
you know, a community could share what they already owned with each other. Because we have simply too much clothing. Yeah, too much. I mean, I can tell you that by looking into my own wardrobe. (laughs) So... I always find it interesting when people um, solve problems. So has entrepreneurship always been something that you've been interested in? Or was it purely the fact that you saw this problem and you said, how can I figure this out? Because I know that sometimes with founders, they've always been very entrepreneurial. And so when they see a problem, they automatically think, okay, is there a solution out there? Can I do something different? How was it for you? Yeah, I think for me, I was really, you know, I was literally planning the itinerary for my honeymoon on a spreadsheet, um, you know, during my lunch hour, because we don't really step away from desk. So I was still working full time at a distressed at hedge fund, you know, completely unrelated to what I do now. And, you know, I, I had this other tab open within that spreadsheet, you know, within that workbook, which um, was about fashion rental players in the world. So, you know, Rent the Runway in the US, Y Closet in China, um, Style Theory in Singapore, where I'm from. Uh, And I started kind of noticing that all of them were very inventory heavy logistics and operational businesses, um, as opposed to really, you know, companies that focused on the sharing economy and using what's already out there and getting people to, you know, um, get value out of all these untapped resources that they already own. And that's when I thought, you know, we've seen this happening with Airbnb, with Uber. You know, we've also seen this with food waste now. You know, you can go to a neighbor's and and, and get, you know, some onions and tomatoes that they want to throw away before they're going on their holiday. So that's, I think, Olio and also Too Good To Go, those incredible apps. So it just makes sense for us, you know, especially a lot of females tend to do this. You know, we do engage in this, you know, wear once mindset. Um, you know there's hashtags like outfit of the day out there OOTD Um, and and, you know social media has really kind of um, added fuel to the fire as well when it comes to everyone feeling insecure and not wanting to wear the same outfit over and over again Um, certainly not something that my parents and grandparents would have really been worried about uh, but we very much are worried about that so it just sort of made sense you know it, it just made a lot of pragmatic sense you know for me to realize that A lot of us women are anyway following similar trends. You know, we all want this particular dress from, I don't know, Ghani. Um, Wouldn't it be just nice if we could just share them? You know, if a few people had them and we could rotate them uh, and, and, and have a rotating wardrobe, essentially. And how have you seen the culture in terms of um, people sharing and borrowing clothes? Is it something that's, you know, now being normalized? Because I still haven't really kind of adjusted to getting comfortable with renting from an app but how have you seen the culture change ever since you started in 2019 yeah i mean it's been it's been so interesting to see this you know this complete sort of i guess well not shift really but really just people opening up to this concept you know we had a lot of early adopters like the fashion insiders you know journalists celebrities influencers um you know waving the flag for rental I think in 2019 but now it's it's gone on to you know our actual customers who are just you know average working professional women you know that's our target audience and that's where we do really well so you know there'll be your teachers your bankers your lawyers your homemakers you know students who are graduating and renting an outfit for their for their graduation day under the cape I mean it's just so interesting that these are the people who are really now waving the flag for us 
So we've really crossed that chasm, I would say, that very, very important chasm that needs to be crossed in order to get into the mainstream audience. Um, and now, you know, we're becoming more and more a household name. It's been so interesting during the lockdown period. Um, well, the three national lockdowns that we had in the UK where, you know, we had um, a lot of people consuming digital media uh, and content like never before. You know, a lot of people being alone at home and wanting that kind of connection online. And we really spent those 15 months in lockdown building our digital community. So really focusing on on this trusted network of lenders and renters and even just users, you know, people who are just browsing the app and haven't transacted or listed their own items, getting them to engage with the content so that they understand why sharing is not just great for money, you know, in terms of saving money and making money, uh, but it's also great for creating a new community, meeting like-minded women, you know, having an extended wardrobe to someone who might have the same size and style as you without having to buy something completely new every time. And I think, I think that's where we, you know, in a strange way, the lockdowns actually have been, you know, great for our success because we focused on our product, which is the app, you know, the tech behind it. Um, you know, no one else in the rental space, definitely not in the UK, has been able to achieve what we have when it comes to the app that we've built. You know, we've been featured app twice on the app store, uh, all within 20 months, and recently also featured um, as the featured app and um, the founder um, on the app, which has been really exciting, you know, just to see ourselves really become this tech company, this social network. And just a completely new way of looking at fashion rental as a whole, uh, you know, making it about community, not about fashion and inventory. And you've just mentioned that you've had quite a few features in the apps and quite a few um, founder interviews as well, which I saw a lot of online. And I wonder that as a founder who's building a business, how do you manage kind of being the face of your business, doing all these interviews and still actually working on the business? Is there some sort of pressure that you feel on you because, you know, you're constantly doing interviews and you're having to be transparent about what you're building and you're still in the very early stages, if we're honest. Um, how do you manage that? I mean, it's difficult, you know. Um, I, I think, you know, we're very honest and transparent about our growth and our community. You know, we love to talk about it. We always use user-generated content as well uh, for that particular reason. And I think that's why by rotations, you know, our growth has been incredible, insane. Um, and it's because people really love this authentic take that we've taken. You know, we don't like to have a big distance between the brand and our actual customer. Um, and I think traditionally, a lot of fashion brands, a lot of houses, you know, they, they, they always make it seem like, you know, they're very aspirational. So they would never actually acknowledge the paying customer you know, which it was just shocking, to be honest. And I think it's a very outdated way to build a brand. You know, now it's all about being very close to your customers, being at their level, you know, being very accessible to them and, and being grateful for them, really, because they're spending their hard earned cash with you. So I think we do that really well. And I think that also comes from being very honest and transparent. You know, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, you know, with, you know, with, I guess, you know, with, with other sort of players talking about how they've got this and they've got that, but actually a lot of it tends to be just hype and, you know, press campaigns, but not a lot of actual um, substance behind it. And we actually just focus on really getting the product to work really well so that we get our customers to be very happy with us. 
I think that's really what it needs to be. You know, that there needs to be an obsession on the product and the customer. And I think that's how I feel about buy rotations growth. And I think that's where it's come from, you know, in a very lean and consistent manner, you know, we'll consistently be growing. We'll not just have one sudden, you know, uh, ad campaign or a, or like a sudden partnership or, you know, sudden hype around the platform. It'll always be consistent. I love that you've highlighted the importance of focusing on your customer and the product as opposed to just loads of hype around the press because you know I know when people first launch a business there's this dying need to get out there in the press and sometimes it's a form of validation that okay we're doing something right and sometimes it really is just to get the word out there and you know in front of new people but I think there definitely has to be a careful balance of getting press and actually making sure that you're growing as a business. So before venturing into um, buy rotation full-time, you were working as an investment analyst for seven years, which is completely different from fashion and tech. I'd love to know what your aspirations were growing up and if finance was something you've always wanted to do or has it been fashion, how did you land into the world of finance? So I was an international student, um, you know, studying at a university in the UK And I realized uh, within my first year of undergrad that I would need my visa to be sponsored in order to work in the UK after. And I really wanted to stay in the UK. I didn't want to go back to Singapore. And so I kind of realized that this dream that I had for what, you know, of working in advertising and marketing, it was going to be probably impossible because the creative industries don't really sponsor visas. And that's when I started getting work experience in, um, in, you know, a more sort of corporate environment which is um, financial services. So working in investment management in particular. So I was investing in corporate bonds right after I graduated um, from my undergrad degree in business management. And um, I mean, it's different to the kind of passions and hobbies that I had, you know, which was graphic design. And I always thought I wanted to do marketing. Um, And, you know, I come from a very entrepreneurial family where both my parents are entrepreneurs. So I always knew I wanted to found a business of my own. However, when I was graduating, I knew that I had no idea what it was. And it was actually a really great thing to have been able to get this corporate experience for the past six and a half, seven years, because I honed a lot of my, you know, professional skills. So whether that's being, you know, diligent, you know, having a great work ethic, um, you know, being very, I guess, humble and and doing a lot of the gritty work and realizing that no one's going to do it for you because you are at the lowest end of the food chain. Um, I think those kind of skills, you only get them from a very professional environment. And I think that's really what's built the culture of Byrotation and our team as well today. Um, Yeah, you know, there's no shortcut to hard work. And I think getting work experience, working for someone else is really, really essential for that. I totally agree. I think that at times we undervalue the experience that we gain from working in the corporate world. So you started by rotation whilst you were working full time and you started it as a side hustle. Why didn't you decide to just venture into it full time? Why did you decide to start it as a side hustle? And how did you manage that with your full time job? Um, Yeah, I mean, I actually just, you know, tried to do, tried to juggle my full time job by, you know, doing, creating this platform and the business plan in the evenings and the weekends. You know, I had, um, you know, I had no sort of network 
in the fashion or the sustainability or the media side of things. I mean, I didn't even know a lot of British people, given the industry that I was working in is quite international. So it was really kind of, a, I would say it was, you know, me kind of starting with nothing. And I think it was really great because I threw myself in there. You know, I gave up all my social activities with my friends, you know, so no, no Pilates, no bar classes, no going out with friends for dinner and drinks and all of that. You know, I was just really focused on figuring out whether by rotation could be the next big thing. You know, if people were up for renting and lending their own wardrobes with each other. So the first six months of the side hustle are really an experimenting phase, you know, to actually execute in a very cost effective and lean manner um, and understand if we could even get some results. You know, so I had a target number of transactions, target number of users and listings and the kind of uh, brand awareness so through press that I wanted to get before I would actually, you know, give up my actual career. So I made sure, you know, we hit all those targets. And that's when I did make the very difficult decision to finally leave my career in finance. And I have to say it was still hard, even on the day that I resigned. Um, you know, I still had my team asking me if I wanted to reconsider over the weekend. And I just said, no, I have to do it because I've seen the numbers that I want to see. And I do want to, you know, bring by rotation to the world. So before you decided to make the transition, you set yourself some targets. And once you hit the targets, you said, okay, I've achieved this. This is the go ahead to go full time. Yeah, exactly. I love that because it's not just all vibes. It's like using data to actually make a decision, which I think is really important. Um, And I guess you then decided to focus on continuing to grow from there. Did you make targets that you would have for the next six months and then for the next year once you left? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, once I left, uh, we pretty much went into, so we, we launched the app, you know, so the, app, so the actual launch was in October, 2019. And, um, you know, we launched the app the day that I left my job and five and a half months later, we ended up, you know, in lockdowns across the world and in the UK. So, um, a lot of whatever we had projected was thrown out of the window, you know, and we were basically in uncharted territory. I mean, everyone's been in uncharted territory, uh, and definitely us. But this is when we really, you know, decided let's stop running. You know, let's really, really focus on what kind of business we are going to be. What is our mission? And you know, what's our vision? And how are we going to drive that? With what we do today. So it was a great. I guess it was a great way to sort of step back and ensure that we were going after the right values and. You know, we had plans put in place to achieve towards one each one of those values. And you mentioned that you had created the app. So did you have a team when you transitioned into this full time? And during the time that it was still a side hustle, did you have people working with you? I had um, two freelancers that I was paying using my own salary that I was earning, you know, someone to help me with social media and uh, someone to help with our press because I knew that these were two areas that I had no experience in, no network in. Um, And I think that's really great, you know, really just evaluating your strengths and weaknesses and then finding the people who could fill those gaps. And then in terms of the tech, did you outsource that yourself or was that something that you learned as well? Um, So I've been a web designer since the age of 11. So I've always had that sort of knowledge and product, but obviously code has changed a lot over the past two decades so it's been um it's been really interesting to learn you know what's happening now uh with my cto whom i found you know even before i left my full-time job 
you know, he's one of my really good friends, friend from high school that I had met over seven years ago. And next thing you know, we're actually now colleagues, you know, he's my founding team. So it's been really great having that sort of focus on product and um, that experience in product, because I feel like it's all full circle, you know, all that experience that I had in web design and graphic design, when I was playing Neopets, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah, and I love to hear that, because I always say that every bit of experience that we have in life is never wasted. There's yeah. always somewhere. There's in a life reason that... why it happens as well. Yeah, exactly. So I really love to hear that. Um, so you spoke about the pandemic and, um, you know, it affected everyone. No one saw it coming. What were the um, obstacles that you had as a brand and how did you carry by rotation through the pandemic? Because I know from, you know, a lot of the research that I read and articles and stuff that quite a few businesses did shut down during the pandemic. How were you able to continue to grow and overcome the obstacles? You know, we were lucky to be self-funding the business until very recent, which also meant that, you know, we, you know, we could actually stick to our values and the vision that we had for Birotation, as opposed to trying to please investors that we had taken money from and, you know, kind of, you know, change all our plans, throw it out of the window or start pivoting into different business models um, that don't quite necessarily have the same KPIs and metrics that a peer-to-peer marketplace would. So we were very lucky that we just really believed in the purity of purpose and using our very limited resources to achieve them. And I think that's really what it is about, you know, it's about, I think the most entrepreneurial person, it doesn't even mean, doesn't have to relate to business. You know, someone can be entrepreneurial just because they have, you know, they, they achieve incredible things with whatever limited budget they might have. You know, they use whatever resources they have around them and they get things done. For me, that's entrepreneurial. You know, that's, you, you don't even have to be a business person to be an entrepreneurial person. Um, and I think that's where, you know, by rotation really excels. We just keep things very lean. You know, we really look at the efficiencies of every single campaign that we do. You know, um, every single, you know, team member that I have, you know, it's really about sort of doing what we do best, which is building a community and facilitating the lenders and renters to rotate with each other on the app. And everything else beyond that is just fluff. And when it comes to fluff, you know, how do we make that as cost effective as possible? Because um, this is a business that wants to scale and go global. You know, we, we, we're thinking about all the different funding rounds that we do want to do in the future anyway. So we want to keep things as lean as, you know, maybe sometimes even scrappy um, in these days, because we do want to show people how much we do with so little. I'm going to go into the funding questions. But before I go into that, I know you also had a pop-up store in Westfield and I'd love to know why you decided to create like an in real life space. I love when brands do that, particularly Glossier. They had a really strong community online, which they still do. And, you know, once they took it offline, it just kind of elevated the experience. And I think you've been able to do something very similar because I did see loads of feedback about the space being a very beautiful space and just kind of bringing the community that was online offline. So what gave you the inspiration to create that in real life space and how has it impacted your business growth we were approached by uh westfield shepherd's bush themselves oh amazing yeah they they asked us if we wanted this physical space and you know at first i was like no i don't really believe in physical retail and i'm not going to pay anything for it you know and they were so kind to just 
offer this to us, you know, uh, free of charge. And, you know, they kitted out the whole space and made it, you know, very true to our vision and our branding. And that, I think that was the most incredible thing ever, you know, seeing our very digital first community come, you know, in 3D, come to come alive in 3D, you know. Um, and I think I think we were very, very lucky for that opportunity. And I think that, again, is a testament to what, you know, how much people value by rotation um, as a community and as a brand. And yeah, I think that was such an incredible opportunity for us to also gather a lot of market research um, and meet, you know, our customers in real life. I think what's really interesting is that, you know, shopping malls like Westfield, they have a very local uh, demographic. So, you know, people who actually live in the city where they are. So like in London, for example, they actually do their errands at Westfield Shepherd's Bush, which is fantastic because I'm meeting people who are actually going to be my customers. Uh, I'm not meeting, you know, tourists who are going to departmental stores just to do their shopping. So I'm actually meeting my real target demographic who are running errands like buying groceries or buying, you know, uh, personal care equip, you know, things before they go on their holiday uh, or they're going to the Apple store because there's an Apple store in Westfield. So it was really, really interesting meeting our actual customers. And I think what was very interesting is meeting those people who hadn't really considered rental to be an option and were shopping at high street stores, you know, that come in with a paper bag from Zara or H&M. And that'd be like, oh, you can rent a Gucci bag for 50 pounds for a week. Wow, I shouldn't have bought this bag from Zara for 40 pounds then. You know, that was sort of that aha moment that we were seeing all the time. And I love that. You know, I just love meeting people who who were surprised that they could do this um, by borrowing from each other. I think, yeah, that sounds like such a brilliant opportunity and having Westfield approach you as well. Has this tempted you to want to open a retail space? Because it was such a beautiful thing to see. I mean, I didn't show up there physically. I did have some friends who did. Um, and, you know, like I said, there was loads of great feedback. So has that tempted you to open a retail space? Oh, that's so nice to hear. I, I just always love getting feedback. I think that's really what makes us, you know, continue to iterate the product and improve um, and also our community but um you know we've so after the Westfield pop-up which was just such an insane experience I think the largest ever fashion rental concept ever done before you know 3,400 square feet I think you know all the photos and all the content that was generated it was just a beautiful space and you know we've since then been approached by many retailers and even other malls uh sorry not retailers what do you call them you know like commercial property um, developers and all of that sort of approaching us and saying you know you know we've got spaces for you we'd love to just give them to you and you know if you could just take them so yeah I mean I would say it's been it's been so great to get all these offers now but we are being very mindful about how often we want to do them because you know a pop-up is meant to be a pop-up and for us um, physical spaces also need to be experiential you know they can't just be a store so for us it's not all about convenience because we do want to train our user base to always go app first. You know, we want a digital savvy customer because that's where we will be. You know, if you look at other sharing economy businesses like Uber and Airbnb and, and Olio and all of that, they don't have a central store where you can pick up an apartment or pick up some food that's getting wasted by your neighbor or like order your Uber from that particular spot. So I think it's really important to kind of make sure that we... Um, train our users in the early days itself not to fall into this you know 
habit of wanting to go in to meet at a particular store all the time you know because because that's not what it's about you know we're not we're not yet another shopping brand no I completely understand that so earlier you had mentioned that you have been fully self-funded to date but you have recently done a round of funding um and most tech companies, you know, they take the approach of raising funds sometimes way before there's even any significant growth. Why did you decide to take the approach of self-funding first and then later on deciding that, do you know what, we're going to now raise some funds? I think the reason for this really is I used to work in finance myself and I care a lot about um, the metrics, including things like founder equity. So I hold a very, very large proportion of my company to date. And this is going to help me in my future funding rounds and potentially outlive any other sort of, you know, players in the space, um, because founder equity is very important as you continue to grow, scale up and need more funding and more investors down the line. Um, and, and for me, you know, buy rotation is what I want to do with my life. You know, I want to take this company to IPO. It's not something that I want to exit within three to four years and you know, become a business personality and, you know, do talks around the world or something like that about how I found it by rotation. So for me, you know, this is the end game and I'm going to give my everything to it. I've already had quite a high opportunity cost of giving up my career in the city. Um, so I really want to make it worth my while. Um, but yeah, I mean, if anyone else is tuning into this and, you know, they think that, oh, you know, it's all about raising money. I think those days are gone. You know, we've seen how Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, was basically a huge fraud. And she's, she raised, I think, close to a billion dollars. And the company was worth, well, nothing. I think maybe it was worth a dollar at the end of it. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of hype around raising money. But people don't realize that founders are actually giving up a huge chunk of their company, probably at really bad valuations. So it looks good, I think, again, in the press article. But it doesn't actually make a lot of commercial sense. And in terms of raising money from investors now, because you've mentioned that you just recently closed the round, what were the investors looking at when you were pitching to them? Was it more future projections or the growth that you've had to date? Yeah, I mean, when we were fundraising, we were still in lockdown. So, you know, the growth was basically, well, what was the growth, right? Um, it was very interesting because we were already starting to track. I mean, we track metrics every single day. Like I'm obsessed with metrics. Um, as you can imagine, given my past career. But I think some of the, you know, I, I guess anyone who's tuning in and they have a startup, start identifying, you know, what are the numbers that, you know, even even say journalists uh, or, or your friends are asking you, because chances are that investors are going to ask you about them as well, and they're going to drill even d deeper into them. So for us, you know, things like number of users, uh, number of listings, the retail value of all the listings that you have, um, you know, the average basket size, the number of rentals that you're having. So just seeing things like also the trends that are happening within that, you know, how quickly is your user base growing? How quickly are your rental volumes growing? I think those are the things that people look at, especially if you're very early stage and you don't have enough traction, essentially. And now we're definitely coming to a stage, you know, since end of March, when lockdown started easing in the UK, where we've been seeing incredible multiples um, in revenues, users, listings uh, on the app. So yeah, definitely identify what are the sort of main variables in your business that drive your business and then start, you know, getting obsessed with them, thinking about how to 
increase them and, and, and increase the trends in them. Uh, sorry, the, you know, amplify the trend within them. And in terms of your experience of raising funds, how is it for you and what type of investors did you attract? You know, is it a diverse set of investors or do you have mainly women or is it mainly people from the tech industry? You know, I've heard so many different stories and, you know, we have the data to also back it as well that when it comes to women raising investment, you know, it's very few that go on to do so because, you know, there are so many barriers in the way. So what was your experience? Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, the kind of underlying investors that we have at the moment, I'm so proud to say that about 70% um, of our shareholders are all women or they're from, well, minority backgrounds. Um, And I I think for me, that's so important to get, you know, um, a variety of perspectives from people who are giving me advice um, that goes beyond capital, really. Uh, We've also been very, very careful about what kind, you know, how they've actually made their money. So what kind of money is being invested? You know, uh, for example, we don't have any money from fast fashion companies or families that made their money from fast fashion. You know, we've just been very, very careful about the kind of individuals and the kind of, um, you know, other institutional investors that have been coming to invest in our business, because I think that's going to affect our values in the long term, you know, um, and also to make sure that we distance ourselves from such businesses that are, again, you know, are completely you know, at odds with what we do when it comes to circular fashion and biorotation. So um, it's been a very careful mix. And I think in terms of my own funding process, I have to say I've made so many iterations of the deck and I've had so many conversations with just incredible people that I respect so much. I think the one tip that I give to anyone is, you know, start early because people do want to build relationships early on. And and if you start early, they start monitoring you, you know, they keep a watch of you. And, you know, if they really like your industry, your sector, they start understanding how you are. They start understanding your story, basically. And and, and the story really helps. It really matters. You know, people want to know, because I think especially with early stage, a lot of it is all about, you know, the founder and the founding team. Like, do you trust this person with your money? Because it's so early days, you know. That there, there, there isn't enough data to back it, and especially if it's a completely new sector, which is which like ours, you know, peer to peer fashion rental, you know, that's completely different. Um, you can't even completely liken it to resale, but there are some data points out there. But again, not many public companies in resale as well. I think we just had uh, was it Poshmark that had an IPO, uh, and and was it Real Real as well and ThreadUp? So you've got a lot of American players that have IPO'd, but you don't have a lot of European players. Um, so there's not a lot of data points. So it really does matter what kind of um, what kind of founding team you have. You know, what's their background? What's their story? What's their motivations? You know, why are they actually doing this? So, um, you know, start building those relationships early on and you'll understand very early, you know, who actually has the same values as you and would like to probably invest in you, uh, even in terms of just giving you support. So, you know, in the early days, it might not necessarily be capital right away, but they might just be cheerleading you. And that's great, too. Of course, definitely. So you've mentioned start early in building those relationships. So when you build those relationships with the investors, do you say to them, we'd love to have you invest in us? Or do you just go in saying we want to introduce you to what we do? I guess it's important to know how you would approach the investor. Is it going in straight away? you know, pitching or just going in straight away and say, this is what we do. And we just thought, you know, you'd be interested in knowing. 
I think it depends. I mean, you have to do your research on the investor. You know, if you're talking to someone who, for example, invests in Series B, you know, and, and you're just an early stage founder, I think you have to go in with the approach that I just want to get to know you and I want to know what you think about my product. I'd love to have you your feedback. Um, so you definitely have to find out which which area they invest in. They might not also invest in the kind of product that you've created. They might be a B2B investor and they have no interest whatsoever in a marketplace, for example, a peer-to-peer marketplace. So it's just, you know, you have to do the research on them and and figure out in a way what it is that you want from them right now. You know, maybe right now you just want to, you know, you just want to let them know you exist. I think I heard this really good thing um, at one of the physical events I went to um, before lockdown happened. Uh, and I think Felix Capsule was there. And, you know, I think someone was talking about how they had um, an early stage founder whom you know, who was sort of messaging them back and forth. And they had built a good sort of relation, like a friendship, you know, like an acquaintanceship. Um, and they liked the product, you know, they trusted the founder, they liked the founder. But the issue was that they had chatted too many times back and forth and met up and spoken on the phone and VC with the early stage founder, that there was kind of no mystery left when the time came. And, and they felt they had known too much about the product, you know, the ups and the downs and a lot about the downs as well, where they just weren't excited about the story anymore either. So I think there's a balance, you know, with uh, with updating these these in, these future down the line investors. Uh, you know, don't just sort of call them and, and write to them every every month or every other month because oh, you know, we had you know we had a shout out from I don't know Harry Styles. Like you know, they don't need to know this. So so keep it. You know, you know, it's kind of like dating. I think that's how I see it. You know, you gotta. You want you gotta leave them wanting more, and then you gotta pop in, you know, every few months and be like, "Oh yeah, I'm doing great," that sort of thing. That's how I do it. So keep them excited and you know update them when necessary. Um, so a question around networking because you mentioned that you were a, an international student and you barely even knew British people. So now becoming a founder, you didn't really have a network. Um, and to me, it looks like you know you have quite a big network now. Um, how did you go about building your network, especially with other founders and mentors, advisors and investors? Yeah, I mean, for me, I in a weird way, again, you know, with lockdown, it was actually very convenient to um, to end up networking with people online. You know, it was quite hard, I would say, in the early days to go to these events because I would go alone and I would try. But a lot of times people wouldn't, you know, wouldn't give you a chance because because I don't know, maybe you only had 200 followers on, on your company, Instagram account and all those, you know, vanity metrics that people look at. But I actually found it much easier during lockdown. You know, people were just more open minded. They were happy to jump on a live. You know, everyone was kind of putting themselves out there. So that actually worked really well for me. I guess that's a very practical tip. But I think really building relationships where it's a two way street, you know, it's not just taking, taking, taking all the time. But it's also giving what you can, even if it's much smaller and the person might not actually, you know, the person on the other end might not actually need that because they're much, you know, better known than you. They're much more connected than you. But yeah, I think it's really about being genuine and showing that you actually have a a sincere interest in them, not just because they have a great following or, you know, they have a platform which could really help your business or something. 
um, I'm very really big on that, which which is why for me it's all about quality over quantity. And I think that's also how we built a very tight knit network around by rotation supporters and also around you know the friends that I've made in the industry. And and I think that's so important. You know that we, I would say as a founder, your time will be really stretched anyway. So you know you shouldn't really be worrying about getting to know lots and lots of people and. Yeah, it's not really about being a social butterfly. It's really about having those really strong connections. And they'll do the cheerleading for you if you build them the right way, if you've invested the right time. And how do you balance keeping in touch with friends and family? Because I think when you're on a journey of building a business, you know, it's so important to not forget about the people around you who aren't there for the business, but they're just, you know, they're in your life because you mean a lot to them. How have you balanced that? Yeah, um, it's been difficult to be honest. Um, and I feel quite bad. You know, I've had some of my closest friends who had a baby during lockdown and I, you know, I, I, I bet I've barely, well, I haven't even FaceTimed them. I've barely seen them. I haven't seen the baby. Didn't, you know, for some of them, I forgot to send a gift. So yeah, it's, it's been really bad at my end, to be honest. And I'm really making an effort this summer because I haven't been able to go on any holiday since last January. So I've been really making an effort instead of traveling at the moment to just, you know, catch up with with the friends who are in the country, you know, amongst their holidays and, and kind of going to them and spending some time with them, having lunch or dinners. But yeah, it's been really hard. And I feel like we are living in kind of a different world. You know, I don't have a corporate job. I don't have a desk job. My hours are very different. Um, as you said, my network is different. You know, it's grown so much. And, and you know, sometimes we're not even speaking the same language. So, um, but it's just been so nice to have already got so many strong and such a strong group of friends who really you know they're just cheerleading me throughout and they're saying don't worry you know we we've got you we know you're really busy um and we just love seeing you do so well and 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 really you know changing how fashion is consumed altogether so yeah it's just nice to have my friends and family so proud I think that definitely makes it easier um because they know that I'm not just doing I guess something you know something completely unrelated and selfish and you know, and, and it's great because they're also interested in what I'm doing. They're saying they're learning so much. Yeah, I just think it's so important to have people around you outside of like your customers and your network that are supporting you, like family and friends. It always just makes the journey so much easier. Okay, so coming to, a, you know, we're kind of closing up now, but um, now that you've raised a round of investment, what are the big plans you have for buy rotation and what does the future look like? There's so much going on. I mean, there's a web-based platform that should be coming out quite soon uh, in September. Um, and then we've also got another pop-up coming out. Uh, we're also doing some really exciting things over London Fashion Week, um, which will happen very soon anyway in the next few weeks. And then we'll also be expanding to France because we are going to go global. Oh, amazing. So I'm really, really excited to bring Virotation to a new geography. And, um, and I think, you know, France, you know, has such a, you know, the demographic is so interesting and just seeing the data, you know, the kind of brands, the kind of people that do want to rent on the app, it's going to be completely different to the UK. And I think that's super exciting and interesting as well. So yeah, lots going on. Uh, we just got an office, so we're going to move into to that next week. Um, and yeah, time to build out the team more and raise more funds. Amazing. And in terms of resources that have kind of helped you, podcasts, books, like maybe courses, are there any that you'd recommend to our listeners? 
Ah, um, I was recommended this one that I really liked uh, from the founder of Depop, Simon. Um, he recommended Crossing the Chasm to me. And he told me, you know, he loves our app. And he's like, I can't believe how, what a small team you are and what you've achieved. But he tells me um, it's all about, you know, from the early adopters, that's great. You'll, you'll find, hopefully you'll get your product market fit. You'll find those people in the early adopters. But what you really want to do is you want to cross the chasm and not fall into the chasm because you want to get to the mainstream audience and get adopted by just every Tom, Dick and Harry. So I think for me, that's really where my focus now is. You know, I read up on it during my lockdown and now the focus is really on bringing it to the mainstream because, you know, we are a peer-to-peer marketplace. So it's really about volumes for us. Uh, volumes require lots and lots of people, lots of bodies. So, yeah. I think that's a really good one that I liked. Um, hate to be the person to say this, but, uh, and I don't know if it's basic, you know, people at the Silicon Valley might say it's basic, but I think my favorite sort of business book, and I'm not really into nonfiction, um, I would say it's zero to one. Uh, Peter Thiel is, you know, not a great guy, and that's fine. But um, that book, I think, is a handbook for anyone who wants to create a tech startup. Very easy read. I think it's about 180 or 200 pages. I have so many highlights over mine. And I think I think for me, um, whatever he wrote back in the day, it's still so relevant today. And I hope more founders will, will read it and think about building a lean and efficient business that grows the market, you know, not just sort of um, tries to tries to dominate an existing small pie. I love that. Um, okay, so last question. So to anyone that wants to use by rotation, how can they find the app and how can they get involved in renting their clothes? So please download the free app. It's available on iOS and Android. And it takes under two minutes to create an account, to list items, to rent from others. And it's a great way to actually build up your social network as well. And yeah, you can find us on Instagram at, at byrotationofficial. Thank you so much, Ashita, for coming on to the podcast. I really, really appreciate your time. I know you've got a busy schedule. So thank you again. And I hope everyone enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. That's it for this episode of How I Made It Happen. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do follow, leave a review and a rating as it really helps others in discovering the podcast. And lastly, if you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, you can sign up for that at fourworkingladies.com. Thank you for listening.